Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan here and you are listening to episode number 84 of the Langpreneur podcast. Guys, welcome back to the show and if you have been listening to the show for a while, you know that here at uh, the Langpreneur headquarters, we are a big fan of the so-called audience first approach, right? So to first build an audience, ask them what they want and then create the product that they want to have, help them solve the problems. And some of the best way to build an audience is uh, by doing that on YouTube, right? Um, people are very engaged on YouTube, more than, you know, on TikTok, on Instagram, for example. They spend more time watching your videos. And uh, yeah, it's also very visual. So it's a very good way to build a trust relationship with your audience. And uh, we also know from experience by working with other YouTubers is that it's um, it also makes it easier to sell than if you have a blog, for example. Blog traffic is relatively cold, but Traffic on YouTube is quite hot because these people already trust you and uh, you have already given them so much value for free, right? So they're more likely to buy. So YouTube is a very good way to to build an audience. Um, now, we, we've talked a lot about growing YouTube channels with, um, with the previous guest here on the show, right? But today I have somebody on the show was extremely qualified to talk about growing YouTube channels. My guest is Anna from English Like a Native. Um, at least that's a YouTube channel that she's the best known for. But she runs many YouTube channel channels, about four or five. Um, about music, uh, she has a personal blog, she also has a kids channel. Um, and um, yeah, we're really going to talk about you know the YouTube channels that have... That, that she, you know, that were very successful, some of the project that she failed at, uh, the importance of having a business mindset when you get, once you get started with YouTube, if you want to build a business, of course, um, lessons for growing on YouTube, the pros and cons of batching and producing content, should you upload weekly or daily, and also the importance of um, having a team and to delegate the time-consuming tasks. So Anna is running all these YouTube channels, and um, the most remarkable thing is that she's actually raising kids at the same time. She has two young kids, and she managed to do all of it. So yeah, we're also going to learn not just how to grow a channel, but also how to do that, how to maintain multiple channels in Anna's case, and um, you know, raise kids at the same time. Um, and delegating is the key here, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. But we're going to talk about that in detail in the interview. So let's get started with the intro and then see you in the interview. This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey Anna, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Oh, well, hello. Thank you for having me. So my name's Anna and I am primarily a YouTuber. I have multiple YouTube channels, the main one being my English channel called English Like a Native, which I started, I think, about six years ago now. I also have other educational 
channels as well with a, a children's channel aimed at preschool kids and a singing education channel. And then I have a, a mummy vlog because I'm a mum of two young children and a travel adventure vlog, which is a bit dead at the moment because we can't go anywhere and we can't do anything. <laughs> so I have a, a lot of plates to spin. Um, and besides that, I also have a website with a bunch of courses that I'm building. And um, I have a, fin- a finger in lots of other pies as well. Yeah. Well, so how, how many YouTube channels are you running? Like, or combine them? So I think it's six channels I have. Oh, really? Um, I can't feed all of them all at the same time. Uh, it would just be impossible. Yeah. So um, because of the pandemic, the uh, children's channel is taking a breather because I can't get together with the team that I work with. Hmm. And the uh, singing education channel has also been on a break, although that is constantly, um, it's, it's, singing, it's singing exercises. So people use those videos day in, day out. Um, so the channel still breathes and lives, but I'm not feeding any new content that way at the yeah. moment. Is English like a native the, the the biggest channel? Yes, yes. I think we've got around seven hundred thousand subscribers on there at the moment. Yeah. Um, would be lovely to get to the next big milestone before the end of the year, but, um, <laughs> but we'll see. It's it's very difficult when you've got so much going on to really um, concentrate on on making lots of content, which is what you need to really grow your audience. Yeah. And um, is, I mean, from all these YouTube channels, is um, English Like a Native the only one that is a business, meaning that is it the only one where you actually have a product to sell? Um, it, yes, in terms of having courses that come off the back of it. Um, and it's definitely my main income stream in terms of um, working with sponsors and obviously ad revenue, affiliate links and things like that. Um, But the children's channel has also been uh, very uh, successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Children's content is a completely different beast altogether. Um, There was a little hiccup with children's content recently uh, because of a ruling that came in in America called the the copper regulation, Mm -hmm. um, which is about not collecting data on children which is something youtube was doing and so that shift that change in the regulation meant that having a children's channel became very difficult in terms of making money um Mm -hmm. and and actually for for discoverability as well they kind of swept a lot of the channels under the carpet i think and kind of killed the traffic but we continue to survive because the product is good so the 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 content is good and we are now licensed by two different um, apps and uh, we are potentially going on board with another collaborator as well and so we're licensing our material to go into other places into other arenas which uh, is very exciting and and just another stream of income that can help to keep these things alive keep these projects running because i can't do it all by myself you have to have a team yeah and that team needs to get paid right so you absolutely (laughs) absolutely it's interesting so you're not making money directly off youtube well maybe some adsense but you basically just licensing out licensing out all the licensing uh, out licensing yeah. out uh, the yeah so with the kids channel we do make some money on youtube but because of the changes there's just not very much um there's not very much advertising revenue 
in kids content on YouTube at the moment. And so we license out to these other companies. They, you normally have like a, a split of, uh, of, of the money that they make from subscriptions to their apps. Um, and, uh, one of them does take has advertising on on their platform, so there's a, a split of the advertising revenue that they make depending on your views, just the same as with YouTube. So it's I think it's good to diversify your your income. Yeah. Um, because if you rely on just one platform, then as we experience with YouTube and the kids content, it can literally drop out overnight. Yeah. And we we had a we had a situation where we were employing. I think four people um, outside of the core team to help us, and it really was waking up in the morning, and our our income and our traffic was at a cliff edge. It literally dropped out, yeah. and we had to get rid of everyone without yeah. any notice. It was it was quite unfortunate, really. Yeah. Well, now let's talk about English like a native. Then your main project. Um, what was it? Also, the first YouTube channel that you started. No, it wasn't the first, but it was the first one that I took really seriously. Yeah. Uh, the others, the other channels kind of came about accidentally, um, were never intended to really be a business. But mm. English Like a Native was the first one I started with the intention of making it a business. Yeah. So what did you do differently comparing to the other channels that you started before? I mean, this one was going to be a business. So what were some of the things that you did differently from the beginning? Yeah, so it was the first time I was thinking thinking about it in terms of having a, a regular upload schedule, thinking mm-hmm. about strategy uh, for content, um, spending time researching the niche on YouTube and seeing what other creators were doing in that in that arena and what was working or what, what wasn't, mm-hmm. and um, and provide and um, completely providing a service for the viewer. The other channels had been either a passion project, so something that I did for myself without any expectation of anybody watching, but something I enjoyed doing or I wanted to make memories of things, and so I had videos up there for myself, really. Um, Or with the singing channel that came about for me, just putting up videos as a functionality. So I would do singing lessons face-to-face, and I needed my students to practice outside of seeing me. Yeah. So I put the videos on there for them to go and practice so I could see them again and they would have made more progress. Um, and so they were not not strictly for a YouTube audience. Yeah. So when I started in Like Native, it was the first time I was really focusing on building an audience, a global audience, Um and so, yeah, it was just more about mindset and and content strategy, really. Yeah. So you researched the uh, the niche, and what was the strategy that you came up with? What did what do you think was missing in in the niche? <laughs> um, well, I don't think anything was missing. It was just a case of kind of learning from from others and what was working. I think overall, one and and this will probably come up later, but one mistake that I made with YouTube was feeling like it had to have um, a, 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 a linking through road almost through the content. I felt like what I should be putting up should be like episodic, should be like a series. 
it should almost be like a course that you start at the beginning yeah. and you learn every aspect all the way through to the end. But actually, that's not how YouTube works best. Mm -hmm. People don't come on for that kind of thing. You know, people do watch a series and they watch their episodes, but they don't come to YouTube for that. Yeah. And I, I think over and over again, because I like to be organized mm. and I like to have structure. I think I've always tried to push this idea of having a series. And so I've, you'll see that I've started and in most cases never finished hmm. these little um, episodic type uh, yeah. videos. Um, I, I started one that actually students keep begging me to go back to, but I was doing the entire phrasal verb list. And because phrasal verbs hmm. just go on and on and on, there's so many of them. It's not something you can do in just a couple of lessons. So there's hours and hours worth of these this phrasal verb series, which I haven't finished. I'm nowhere near even halfway through the list. And I could see the uh, interest in that content dwindling with every episode I put out. And so eventually I was like, well, I'll just cut my losses here and 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 step away from this. But now students are getting to the end of that series where it's finished and said, hang on a minute, you haven't <laughs> finished this lot, get back on it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what I learned was the kinds of videos that work well on YouTube are the, whole, oh, I don't want to say clickbaity videos, but the ones that are kind of instantly gratifying, you know, the never say this yeah. type of videos or the five top tips people just want quick snacky content yeah. they want something they can just have a quick look at that is is quite interesting in a short form mm. um but um but nothing too serious <laughs> i think is is yeah. my experience when i do grammar lessons or anything that's structured then it doesn't seem to do as well yeah, so if, like content on YouTube is basically for people who are just clicking around and want to have a quick win, you know, you teach them Absolutely. something that's quickly to consume, something that's entertaining, and then the people who really like it and who are really serious about learning English, then they can just buy one of your courses, for example, right? Absolutely. Where, everyone, Absolutely. where everything is very structured and yeah. maybe a bit more boring, but at least there is structure and, and you teach them all the aspects of yeah it's just, it's just about making that decision isn't it making that decision that you want to study some people are studying language as a as a hobby and it really is just a um something they're not taking too seriously although they enjoy it yeah. and so they they're not that interested in you know deep deep long grammar lessons they, yeah. they just want something quick and fun yeah and i think that's what youtube is for it's just yeah. for fun light entertainment yeah it's also very hard to watch a video for longer than 10 minutes on youtube because there are so many distractions right you have, yeah. you have that list on the side with 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 you know the the video suggestions um it's just hard to stay focused on on youtube but yeah it is a great tool to to be discovered and mm -hmm. to find new fans and people who are really serious they can then go and and buy your course um, absolutely how do you find what was your experience at the beginning when starting English Like a Native compared to the other channels, um, was growth slower? Um, did you find that more difficult or not compared to the other channels? So starting out a YouTube channel, the growth, unless you're very lucky, growth will always be slow. Yeah. I, so I've recently just started a new channel about 12 months ago and you, you always forget how hard it is to start from scratch. 
but then I find it's, it's exponential. So once you hit your first milestone, then it'll start ticking over more faster. And um, the bigger you get, the faster you, you grow. And the more content you put out there, the faster you grow. So it is generally exponential. Yeah. Um, but yeah, starting out from scratch, especially when you've got a bigger channel already, it's difficult <laughs> to, <laughs> to say, oh, I've got one subscriber today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you if you have good content, then as long as you've got the patience, it it will it will get there. Yeah. But um, with English like a native, I I was still quite new to the YouTubing game. I I still had a, a full time job and I was doing doing other work, and so YouTube was still a hobby for me back then. Um, and it was slow and it was hard. I found that collaborating with other YouTubers made the biggest difference to growth, mm -hmm. uh, particularly our friend Lucy. I know you've had her on here as well. Yeah. Um, English with Lucy. We, we started our channels around the same time and we'd already met up and been in contact um, in that first year. And then over the summer, Lucy had uh, incredible growth. She, she did a few things right yeah. and had a few videos that, that got a lot of views and so she started to get some some um, increased exposure. And we'd done a collaboration that summer while she was having this big boom in growth. And so that collaboration, when that came out around the September time, helped me to kind of piggyback off her, off her success there as well. And so yeah. we both got a bit of exposure. And, uh, and that kind of like set me off really. Mm -hmm. And you only need one video to kind of get things going. And sometimes it can be disheartening to put out some of your best work and it not get very many views. And you're thinking, well, I don't understand. This video is very good. I know people like this stuff. Why am I not growing? But it just takes one video to yeah. go. And mm -hmm. then it will all start falling into place. So people who are starting a YouTube channel who've maybe been at it for about a year and they're, they're thinking, oh, I'm just going to give up. I always encourage you to just keep playing the game because it's a numbers game. Yeah. The more stuff you get out there, as long as it's good and you're listening to your audience, at some point, one of them is going to take off and it will take your whole channel with it. Yeah. Do you do you think, I mean, you've started so many YouTube channels, do you think that you could make all of them successful if you really wanted to? Or are there also YouTube channels or niches where you say, oh, this, this is so hard, uh, I'm going to give up on, on this project? Um, I think, so I have been able to grow all my YouTube channels um, into the, the partner program. So I've been able to monetize all my channels, which I know from some other smaller YouTubers that that's not always an easy thing to do. I think I take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So I think, I believe that I could take any YouTube channel and make it successful if it's something I'm interested in. And yeah. that's really key because I've considered going into niches um, just for the sake of knowing that they are um, very lucrative. Yeah. But I know that I would lose interest and I wouldn't produce my best work because I'm not passionate about those niches. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'd never survive in a gaming niche because mm -hmm. although I love gaming, I just <laughs> don't have, I don't have the passion for making those types of videos. Um, yeah. And, and like beauty, a beauty niche, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be good at having a beauty channel because I'm not as passionate about beauty products as, you know, some of the best beauty bloggers. So it, it just has to be true. It has to be something you have passionate about 
because you're going to do lots of it. You've got to make lots of that content, and you've got to be genuine. Your audience can can smell a rat. Yeah, they'll they'll know if you're not being genuine, and so yeah, as long as you're passionate, I think anyone can make anything successful. Yeah, what should let's uh, for our listeners, let's say that they are you know listening to this episode and they're like, wait, I also want to start a YouTube channel. What are realistic expectations? At the beginning. So realistically, yeah, realistically, don't expect to be um, monetized for the first 12 months. Um, yeah, and that's to have a thousand subscribers yeah. and um, I can't remember how much watch time. Is it 240,000 minutes of watch time or something? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you allow yourself 12 months to get to those thresholds, then that would that would be good going to get there. So always expect that it will be slow to beginning to begin with. Um I always suggest really just focusing on your content, being really flexible and and responsive. Um, one thing that I've done recently, which hasn't helped, but there's been a necessity, has been to uh, bulk film everything because I've just had a baby. So I needed to take some real serious time out. Yeah from making weekly content but i didn't want my my momentum and my schedule to stop because people expect a video every sunday mm-hmm. and so i bulk filmed everything while i was heavily pregnant out of breath um and so that's been edited for me across the time that i've been on my maternity leave and so the content's still gone out but the content isn't responsive so it's um if someone messages me one day and says, um, we've got some exams coming up, could you cover this topic? Or if, if people are saying to me, I really want to know some more coronavirus um, vocabulary because it's yeah. very topical right now, then those kinds of videos would do well because it's what people are interested in yeah. um, at that particular time. But I can't respond to those those triggers because because I'm taking the time out. And my point is, when people start a YouTube channel, they might have the idea that they're going to plan their whole year of content, which is not necessarily going to be the best thing. Sometimes it's better to have a few ideas and go with them and then see what the response is and then see what's trending, see what your your peers are doing in your niche. Mm -hmm. And if you see something start to fly, start to really go, then do something similar. Do a response to that, um, a reaction video or... Um, something along the same lines but that adds to it or does it in your own style so yeah being responsive is 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 a really great way Mm -hmm. and like i said earlier collaborating is a great way to grow but don't expect big things in the early days yeah how frequent should we should we be uploading videos is is like uploading videos every day better than only once a week for example is there is there a rule or how does that work uh, so it, I think if you do too much, then you could be doing yourself a disservice. Um, the algorithm learns about you by slowly introducing each video to a group of people. So let's say you have 100 people subscribed to you. It won't necessarily show those 100 people straight away your video. It won't notify all of them. They might not all have their notifications turned on even, but if they did, it doesn't notify all of them straight away. It will notify a percentage of them yeah. and then sees how many people click through and how how much of that video they watch so they go okay um they all clicked through and they all liked it so we're now going to send the notification to all the people who want to be notified and yeah. we're going to start feeding it into the home feed mm-hmm. and then maybe a day later it'll, it'll try 
putting your content in front of some new people who like a certain thing. Yeah. So it'll pick different pockets of audience to try and test your your content on. And depending on how the audience react each time, that's where you'll either get a video that flatlines or simmers down, or you'll get a video that flies. And so if you're putting out content every day, the algorithm's not getting a chance to learn from the first video. Mm-hmm. Um, and there tends to be like, they talk about a 90-day cycle. Yeah. So you, obviously you don't want to put out a video every once every 90 days. It has to still be regular, but you need to give every video space yeah. to, to breathe because I, I don't know if um, everybody uses the end card, which is the um, latest video, your latest upload. So you have a, an end card on each video to say um, to show your latest upload, and, mm. and that's what I always do. I have the best for viewer end card, um, the latest upload end card, and then one that I specifically pick that's yeah. related to the content they've just watched. Mm-hmm. If I relate, if I put up a video every day, then they're not going to have as much space and as much airtime on these other more popular videos. Yeah, and so yeah, it's just about giving it space, giving the algorithm time to place the video. Yeah. And I find if I have, um, yeah, if I if I upload a video the day after, um, say my Sunday video, I have a video every Sunday. If I upload a video on the Monday, that Sunday video won't perform as well, yeah, because it's almost been pushed out of the new spot, the yeah. fresh spot. Yeah, so and I guess I you also recommend weekly. Okay, weekly, and I guess it's also about creating scarcity, right? Like if people see new videos in the newsfeed every single day, they do not really have a big reason to click because they know that even if they miss the video tomorrow, there's going to be another video, right? Absolutely. And if, and if YouTube sees that your your subscribers are not clicking through, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to have a low click through rate, yeah, then YouTube might not promote those videos to new audiences, for example. Yeah. So. I always say, I mean, in some niches it would work. Um, but you know, if you're doing like a, a vlog, like I know, uh, Casey Neistat in the early days, he did that daily vlog. I can't remember how long for, maybe it was for a year, but that really helped to launch his channel mm-hmm. into the stratosphere. Yeah. And, and sometimes doing a lot can help, but the algorithms changed a lot since then. And so I, I think now it really does quality really wins over. So if you have the time to make content every day, then instead exchange that time for making the a smaller amount of videos really good mm-hmm. yeah you know and yes. it doesn't even ha- it doesn't have to be the best production value it just has to be something valuable for the audience i think some of my my most successful videos are not the ones with the highest production value they're the ones that just they deliver the content in a way that is, is of a benefit to my audience yeah you Tell us a bit about your your well your working day or your working week because you have two young children. How many hours per week do you work? So at the moment, um, I work about fifteen hours. Only fifteen <laughs> hours. Yeah, it's really difficult, and it's I'm a workaholic, so I find it very very tough because I want to be the best mum I can be. I want to be you know. A, a domestic goddess i want to make nice food and make sure the house is clean and looks nice i want to look good myself i'm trying to get back into shape um and yet i've got a lot of work going on at the moment and i'm not able to do what i would like to do which is work yeah, 12 so. 13 hours a day um 
So it's very difficult. I think having a baby makes you really focus your time. Yeah. I think previously I must have procrastinated quite a lot in a working day because now I can get a lot more done in an hour than I would have in half a day before I had children. Yeah, there's more um, pressure, right? You know that if you don't finish on time, the baby's going to cry and <laughs> that was it. <laughs> absolutely. And so before I would do one video in a day and now I can make eight videos in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's learning. It's it's learning how to how to speed up and be more efficient, but yeah. without um, risking losing quality. I I have people that help me now as well, um, and I think that's a really good important step when when YouTubers are really starting to tick, when the channel's starting to tick, and and you're starting to get some some money back, a return on that investment. Um, then I think the next step is definitely to get help if you really want to grow. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting assistance makes such a difference. And mm. I wouldn't have been able to cope without having the members of my team helping me while I had children. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your team because you have six channels. It doesn't mean that you also have six teams or... Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, just have, I just have one core group of people that help me. Um, so I have an editor. Not easy to find an editor that you that you enjoy working with. Yeah. I've gone through quite a number of editors sourced in different ways, um, and now I I have an editor, a full time editor who works for me. Uh, he's based in America, and mm-hmm. they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and I have uh, someone who helps me write scripts because script writing i would say take would take me half a day yeah so having someone to write for me made such a difference um so they i provide the ideas they write the content i go through it i make some adjustments and then getting an auto queue was probably one of the best purchases i made in the last 12 months yeah i previously used to either try and just do it off the cuff yeah or um or just have notes written down on a piece of paper and just kind of ad lib from those notes but having the whole thing scripted makes every step of the production much faster so i get my script i upload it into my auto queue it means i can film really fast without making mistakes which means i can then give the script to the editor and the editor knows exactly what he needs to do to edit he doesn't need to work around me saying something a bit weird or um if i lose my trail of thought sometimes when i'm filming that could mess things up. So having a script just makes it really fast and easy for the editor. And then creating subtitles, creating subtitles when you've got a script using YouTube and their subtitling technology is, is it just makes it, it's free for a start and, and it means the subtitles are spot on every time. And so that was definitely um, a good, a good change that I made in my production process. So you um, do the uh, you do the keyword research yourself. Yeah. So everything to do with the strategy, and um, I do the thumbnails and all the titling, the metadata. Uh, I do the research, and then I just ask other people to do then the smaller tasks, the more focused tasks. Yeah. So you just tell your script writer, okay, now please go ahead and write a script for the video. Yeah. Never make these or, three mistakes in English, for example. <laughs> yeah, or I might say, um, okay, there's, here's a list of phrasal verbs that I'm going to do uh, a video on. Could you pad this out? 
Yeah. So I provided the phrase of those and they would just write clear definitions and kind of like the intro and the outro. Because sometimes the hardest thing to do is say hello on a video. <laughs> I've got I've got outtakes of me going, hi, hey, welcome. <laughs> and just not being able to get that right kind of very natural welcome to a video. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I do I do the majority of the work, but just then outsource things that take a lot of time. Yeah. How do you find a good video editor? Because I know that it's something that many YouTubers are struggling with. I mean, we're hosting mm -hmm. all these mastermind events and people ask each other all the time. How did you, How can you find a, a good video editor? Um, how did you find your editor? And yeah, how do you think other YouTubers yeah. should go about finding a video editor? Because it's, it's so, something very personal, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it really depends on what style of video you have because... Yeah. Uh, there's some you know if you're doing a vlogging style it needs to be kind of quirky and creative uh, then that's very different to doing an educational video which needs a lot of uh, text and a lot of um, a lot of concentration not to make typos and you know yeah. it's just a case of cutting or yeah it really depends on your style but there are a number of ways to go about getting an editor you can use some of the um, hiring websites like Upwork um uh, Fiverr. I've not had any luck with finding editors on those particular platforms. It doesn't mean there aren't good editors on there. It also depends on what kind of budget you've got as well. Obviously, the more money you spend, the better quality of editor you're going to get. Um, so you can also use some of the, I, there's some great Facebook groups that are specifically for video creators or YouTubers. And often asking around on those kinds of groups can be really beneficial because you can get personal recommendations from other YouTubers. And sometimes some of the YouTubers are also themselves great editors and they're, they're happy to take on that kind of workload. So just asking around on those groups. Mm -hmm. um, there are now companies that are offering the editing services for YouTubers and that's actually the route I ended up going Ah. Um, last so I've done going with recommendations I've gone with freelancers via um, hiring websites and and then I went with a company called vidchops 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 yeah and they they have a, a whole host of editors and they will pair you with an editor and you just pay um, a, a monthly fee um, depending which package you get but I I get three videos a week edited I think is the package I'm with and so then you just upload your your footage and your notes of what you want done with that particular video and then they will turn them around in about 48 hours and then you can ha ask for revisions and things and it's, it's it's a really easy service to use there's other similar services as well I'm not sure of the name of but I have heard them being talked about That's in different right. Facebook groups that's interesting. How much do you end up paying for three videos um, per week? So I think that service, the one I'm, I've got at the moment, is under five hundred dollars a month, just yeah. under five hundred dollars, which is which is really reasonable as long as you're using them to their full capacity. Yeah. Then that's really reasonable. And I'm very lucky. If you're unhappy with an editor within within that service, you can ask for a new editor. And I've had a couple of new editors within the service because I needed someone who was able to switch styles they could be really uh, particular and cut my videos nicely for the educational stuff and um, they could also be really creative 
to do my vlog my vlog content as well yeah um and so now i have an editor that i'm very happy with and mm. been had them for a, about a year and a half now yeah so and, yeah. do you think it's more about giving clear instructions or do you also think that it has to do with with luck i mean i think it's a bit of both you have to expect that there's going to be a learning time for your editor you can't you can't expect even the best editor to to pick up your material and fly with it and make it amazing. Um, it's always nice if an editor can bring something different. Yeah. Uh, so I always like to look for an editor who I don't expect them to be perfect. I don't expect them to know what I want because who does? Yeah. Um, you have to really communicate with them for them to get what you want and what your style is. Mm. But I always like them to bring something different, something I wouldn't have thought about to yeah. to the table. Um, whether that's experience with motion graphics or just a quirky style of how they cut things together. It's always nice to have something new. Like, they care. I want them to care about the creative yeah. storytelling within my videos. And, and that's what I found with the editor I've got now. He does make mistakes, and there are times when I have to say, look, there's a, a simple mistake you've made here. So you still have to be responsible for the final edit. You still have to go through and, and check things over. Yeah. But he will he will cut things in a way that make me smile. That I go, oh, do you know, I didn't think about that when I was filming this. I didn't think about this being in the edit, and I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think having very clear instruction is a definite. You have to do that, and and being willing to work with them over a period to to make them work in the way you want them to but also be willing to cut them loose if after a certain period of time it still isn't working if they're not getting the message then you have to be brave enough to move on and not keep sticking with it yeah so it's really a combination of giving clear instructions but also in the end just trying out lots of the different editors yeah it, it, may, it may come to that obviously you don't want to do that because it's you're, you're paying for that time as well. So you don't want to spend all this money training people up. Yeah. Um, but having a set time, I tend to go for about a month with an editor. Um, I'll be very clear with them that if, if things work out, then there's a lot of work to be done with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be in their interest for things to work out. And I give them very clear instructions of what I want, but also give them space to be creative and to put their own twist on things yeah and then giving very clear feedback saying you know i loved this and i didn't like that because of this or pulling them up when they make very clear mistakes like typos yeah so what are you looking for when you look for an editor um precision precision (laughs) um yeah and so i i mean i work with final cut pro a lot of my editors tend to work with another editing software which I can't remember the name of now, but it's the really common one. Uh, Adobe, Adobe Pro? Adobe, Adobe, yeah. that's it. Yeah, a lot of them work with Adobe. And um, so that can sometimes be tricky because I, if there's something I can see they're not doing, then I would normally just record a little tutorial and say, look, this is how you do it in yeah. the editor. But when they're working on a different software, then that can be tricky. Um, but I don't mind what software they work with if they've got a real clear idea or willingness to learn. And I think that's the important thing. I want them to care about the work they do with me. I want them to want to get increasingly better. Yeah. So with every video, make improvements. Um, and like my editor at the moment, at one point I said, look, I need some sort of, um, I've got a new logo and I need a new opener 
with the logo. I need to make it move. I need some motion graphics around it. Yeah. Can you have a play around? And he did. He came up with a really nice opening for me. And and that's what I appreciate is someone who cares and, and takes the time to yeah. to improve the brand. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to know that before you start working with them, right? So is there Absolutely. anything that you can do to filter out those you don't want to work with before hiring them? Sure. I mean, you can ask for a portfolio. You can ask to see what kind of work they've done before. They don't even have to have necessarily worked with a lot of other creators before. Maybe they've just been editing their own videos and that's fine. But you need to see what they're capable of yeah. um, and, and specify what it is you need and and you know make sure that you're looking for people who've got those specific specific skills so if you want motion graphics then you need to know that they're they can work with apple motion or um yeah if you want someone who's good at photoshop um if you want them to do thumbnails and things like that as well then they need to have those skills so it's it's just making very clear what you want when you're doing your search for your mm-hmm. editor and then making sure that they have those skills and, and having a look at their work, just like you would when you're employing anybody else. Yeah. All right. Well, another interesting thing that you said is that you, you used to be, or maybe you're still a workaholic, but you only have 15 hours per week that you can work, right? So what, mm-hmm. what do you do during those 15 hours? I mean, I suppose only the most important things, right? Only the, the things that you can do which are shooting the videos of course yeah so um, i'll tend to else? have one one day a week where so i tend to work mornings um so i have one one morning a week will be dedicated to filming now so i have my stuff all set up to go all the time which is a bit annoying hmm. um but it's in the spare room so it's not as bad so i have it all ready to go i make sure everything's um prepped in terms of my sd cards my batteries um, everything things plugged in and then I will batch film I'll set up my scripts and I'll batch film like I said between five to eight scripts in a morning and then instantly as soon as I finish filming I don't mess around I get them uploaded onto my portal for my editor I get the script sent over and then the other days are kind of just a mixture of whatever needs to happen at that time so it'll be there's a lot of admin (laughs) that's involved it's like the bigger you grow the more you have to do um with admin so you you still have to manage your editor and there might be questions back and forth you have to watch all the edits um maybe send feedback for revisions and then watch those revisions and then sign them off and then you're moving all this content around you have to upload it you still have to do your metadata research i have to make my thumbnails do my scheduling, do my subtitles. So there's a lot of a lot of work goes into just making a small video. Yeah. I'll have people approach me saying, "Oh, can you just make me a video?" You know, sponsors will come to me saying, "Can you just make me a, just a small video?" And could I have it by the end of the week? <laughs> You're like, yeah. "No, you don't understand how much work goes into a five minute video. It's a a lot of time." Um, so yeah, admin I would say takes up a lot of time. And although I say I've got 15 hours of work time, it it is more than that. It's just those 15 hours of time when I can sit down without the baby and focus on yeah. on a task. Yeah. Luckily, we have smartphones, and you know, there'll be times when I'm sat feeding my baby or trying to get him to sleep, where I can be um, yeah. answering emails or researching scripts and things like that. Um, so I, I can work. Um, 
while being a mum, it's just not always ideal to be yeah. doing that because obviously you want to focus on your children and, and not be a zombie parent. Yeah. What are some of the things that you, you can't do anymore or that you decided to outsource when you got the second baby? Uh, yeah, so like script writing, like I said, is one yeah. of the biggest ones and editing. Um, I I don't make my videos as elaborate and creative as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, my videos used to consist of multiple shots and, and um, lots of sketches. I still have small sketches, but they're not as entertaining as they previously could have been or would have been um, because I don't have the time to do those different shoot setups. Yeah. You know, changing your lights. Also, my house is always a disaster mm. when you've got two kids running around all day. And with the pandemic, my partner's obviously working from home as well. And so we've also got a lot of people in the house mm. making a noise, making a mess. And so I can't, um, I can't do these big elaborate creative videos anymore, which is a shame. Mm. But I'm sure we'll get back to that. Yeah. as the kids grow up <laughs> a little bit let's talk a bit about the business then because what what is the business how does english like a native make money well we've got a new venture at the moment which we're hoping will um will be our main focus for the next few years and that's the introduction of courses yeah um it's a very natural progression i think for any educational channel to move into offering private courses and it's something that our audience is always asking for mm-hmm. so we currently have uh, our website englishlikeanative.com mm-hmm. and um, on the website at the moment there's an offering of a pronunciation course because um, that was a course that I actually had years ago uh, when my, my background is in acting so I, I started off as an actor oh, really? and through acting I was exposed a lot to the voice and um, voice production accent work and I, um, I I lost my northern accent so I, I'm a Lancashire girl and through the process of drama school I kind of changed my accent although that sounds terrible I changed my accent but my accent did change because I wanted a more neutral accent so that I could play um, like Shakespearean roles and 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 have um, an opportunity to do all sorts of roles that weren't defined by having a northern accent. Yeah. Um, and so I worked on 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 neutralizing my accent, learned the the RP, and then started learning other accents, and so that hopefully I could be one of those great character actors that can switch hmm. into all sorts of different accents. Uh, fascinated I was by it and so when I left drama school and went on I then studied musical theatre at the Royal Academy and learned more about voice production and then took a teaching course for teaching uh, singing and voice um, and so then I started teaching outside of, of education of my education and I was teaching singing and I was teaching drama and I had a, a few children in one particular year that had lisps And so I offered to take them privately to do like elocution work with them to help them to um, overcome these lisps Uh and and, and produce the sounds correctly, Um, which was highly successful. The parents loved it. And so that became a regular thing. And then I started teaching elocution privately and, and I started having more and more adults who wanted to um, improve their voice production. So it's not about changing accents necessarily, but they wanted to speak more clearly and more confidently. Um, some of them wanted to neutralize accents for whatever reasons they had. And so 
that kind of became a thing. And I actually started a YouTube channel called Elocution Online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I built a course alongside that so I was selling this pronunciation course alongside my YouTube channel which was teaching elocution which then became I turned it into the English like a native channel yeah and I kind of merged the two Uh um and and that's how I ended up teaching English in 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 fact because many of my students that started coming to me for elocution lessons were uh, non-natives and so they started asking me in my lessons well, what's the grammar behind this? I don't understand why you say this this way. Why? Um, and so I was teaching more English language than I was pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I, I wasn't trained. You know, many people listening uh, are probably trained language teachers. That's not the background I came from. Um, so what I did was I just started learning as I went how to teach these these points and um that's what i find so fascinating about the success of my channel is that i haven't come from the traditional teaching background but i think that um that everyone has something to give you know i think people enjoy the way that i teach i think people find um my style quite easy Mm -hmm. um and that they find the way i explain things quite intuitive and so um and so I think that's why my channel's been so successful. And so I switched recently when I had the rebranding, I, I switched to a brand new website, new branding, new website, and I refilmed my entire pronunciation course and brought it up to date with the new kind of production values that I have, nicer audio, no annoying intro music, which they had at the beginning of every previous video, hmm. um, all, all very um, easygoing relaxed content and so that pronunciation course is now on the new website and and there's an assessment product there as well so that people coming into the course know exactly what it is they need to be focusing on um, to um, make their learning more efficient Mm -hmm. now besides that we wanted to we wanted to have a a product that really works in line with the youtube channel which is not just about pronunciation, but it's about learning English. And I really want to take people who are complete beginners all the way through their journey, which is something I said earlier. I, I like structure. I like to help people get from A to B. And um, that doesn't work for YouTube to have that kind of structured content. And yeah. so what I'm doing is taking that offline or online, but off that platform onto my YouTube, onto my website and we're going to take them through six courses from the very beginning all the way through to being fluent yeah. into advanced English. And so at the moment, I've got a team of four people yeah. who are experts in, in language teaching. And they are uh, creating, helping me to create these courses and creating the, the learning journey. Because that's the really important thing with courses. It's, it's all right having all this content that you're able to to give but you have to do it in such a way that keeps the students motivated and helps them to understand the journey they're going on so i have a a, a course designer who's an expert in, in course design yeah um particularly online courses and we're building these six courses <laughs> which is uh which is a lot of work when you've got a baby and several yeah. youtube channels to run um, but it's really exciting it's really exciting so how are you going to sell the courses? Are you just going to send people to from your YouTube channel to your website or 
Do you do you do email marketing? Yeah, so I have a mailing list uh, that I'm building up at the moment, um, which people can join via um, my YouTube videos. There's always a link there. Um, they can also join via the website at the moment, which I'm trying to build traffic to the website with with blogs and things. Um, and then YouTube will be the main marketing drive yeah. for the website. At the moment, I haven't done lots of push because the website's still new. We're still getting the stuff up, and so we're waiting to get all the all the courses up and running before we then do the big push. Yeah. But um, but yeah, mostly it, it comes from the mailing list, and then we'll be really pushing on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there any last lessons or tips that you want to share with our audience? Um, I th- yeah, I think um, just just love what you do. I think it's very easy to chase to chase the numbers, to chase the the subscribers and and the big views and the watch time. But if you don't love what you do, then it's not going to amount to very much. Yeah. Um, and and also don't be scared. I think it's it's very easy to look at other people and go, oh, they're fantastic, they're better than me. Or um, if you're not a native of the language you're teaching, thinking, oh, well, I have to be a native to be accepted, or I need to be better at the language before I can teach it. I think that's rubbish. I think you can. I think you can. Everybody has something that they can part with that's of value. Everyone can can give something valuable, especially on YouTube. If someone doesn't like what you do, they won't watch. Yeah. But um, I think if you have a passion to teach and you you have an inclination to start a channel, then just go for it. Don't judge yourself. Don't listen to harsh criticism from trolls or you know whoever. Just do what you love and be yourself. And the people who enjoy you will find you. Yeah. So it's important to do something that you love, but um, you should also think about a business strategy or not. At least that's what you did for English Like a Native. Yeah, so I mean, how I important all, is, is that? Yeah, it, I did it a bit back to front. I think in an ideal world, you'll come into this um, from the beginning with a, a proper strategy. Um, I was always just testing the water. It started out for me as a hobby. Uh, it took a year before I gave up my real job to go full time and, and take it seriously as a business. And then it took another five years for me to decide, actually, I need I need to start promoting my own product. So I need to build my own product. I needed to find my feet, I think yeah. is what I'm saying. Um, if you have a strong idea in the first place, then go for it. But just I think just get started with YouTube. It yeah. takes time. So don't wait just start you will learn a lot of lessons from getting going yeah um and and it's much better to be reactive and to create a product based on what your audience wants than what you think they want yeah it's almost impossible to come up with a winning strategy all the way from the beginning right so it's really learning learning as we go with with this uh with with what we do absolutely absolutely all right. Well, Anna, thank you very much. And um, if people want to learn more about you and everything you do, then where can they go? Well, you can find me, obviously, on YouTube with English Like a Native, um, or you can check out my website, EnglishLikeANative.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and uh, and Twitter, but I don't, really, uh, I don't really do Twitter very much. 
But I am on TikTok. That's an interesting platform, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we haven't even had the time to talk about that. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah. I will add all the links to um, well to the channels and also to the other the other YouTube channels in the uh, in the show notes, just for the people who are listening. And uh, yeah, thank you. Talk to you next time. Oh, thank you so much. All right, thanks for listening to this episode. And if you like this episode, then please give this podcast a positive review in the app wherever whatever app that you're using that's going to help us grow the podcast and do more awesome things for you on the show if you want to listen to other episodes resources and um, you know maybe join one of our future events then go to langpreneur.com we also do help some of the biggest names in our industry to scale their six and seven figure businesses so if you want us to help you out with that then just uh, go to the website or just send me a DM on Instagram at the Langpreneur. Look forward to hearing from you and see you on the next episode.